0: Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. Each week, the editorial team at Hotel Analyst gather around the Desk of Insight to discuss three news items that have caught our interest in the last week or so. Andrew Sankster, the Editorial Director, is here, as is Catherine Dogrell, the Perspectives Editor, and myself, Chris Bowne, the Web Editor. We're based in the UK, but we cover the global hotel investment marketplace and if you like what you hear us talking about then you can find more detail more solid information in our perspectives which you can find at hotelonlist.co.uk where you can subscribe or take out a trial to see what we get up to. Now the first subject we're going to talk about this week is what's going on in the world of private members clubs. Catherine would you like to tell us a little bit about why this is relevant to hotels?
1: Uh, well, yes, the good people at Ethos Consulting have been thinking deep thoughts about private members clubs and how they're no longer homes away from home or places to hang out or places to hide from uh, from people you might not uh, want to meet up with, who may not be members. Um, they're places where people work and do networking and have t- treatments on their hands and all this kind of other excitement and, of course, sleep over, which is putting them uh, very close to the hotel sector. And, of course, the hotel sector has been looking at private members clubs and thinking, We can charge people to stay overnight and the membership fee and all this other stuff. What could possibly be more entertaining? So a blending and blurring is occurring. And um, and at the same time, WeWork, who of course have the We Live brand, um, have been, the rumours have been suggesting that they're planning to raise up to $4 billion in debt. Ahead of their planned IPO, and, and this apparently is is going to make their IPO more attractive, um, which is the kind of financing i have inclined to get on board with. Um, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to buy shares in a company that was already absolutely geared up to the hilt? Um, but uh, all all growth and no uh, <laughs> all growth and no sobriety is the way ahead of we work. But once again, this is the things that hotels are. The demands on hotels by the growth of these. Uh, different sort of models which are on the edge, is pushing them into having to do these things or looking like, you know, massive losers. Um, witness what uh, Accor has been doing recently with Wo- Wojo, where they can, um, where you can become a member and you can pop up and use uh, these spaces anywhere. And indeed, these spaces are all over the place in hotels and in other places as well. So um, more, re- more revenue opportunities for hotels and all this kind of thing, but you do have to do it proper, um, otherwise people just feel ripped
2: off. It is tempting to dive in on the irrationality of the WeWork business model. (laughs) But I think that could take up an hour of the podcast alone. Um, So I'm going to restrict my comments to... Really, the wider piece here, and it, it's clearly the case that the the lines between different real estate asset classes are blurring, and WeWork certainly has been one of the pioneers in that. With WeWork and its brand offshoot WeLive, um, so it's challenging what is meant by office and office, and it's challenging what is meant by residential property, and and there's a clear blending across particularly and hospitality is is one of the the key themes that come through all of these new real estate asset classes and operational real estate is the buzzword we're going to hear more and more of. looking at private members clubs i i am not convinced that they are a thing in terms of being meaningful as a, a as a business i i think where so if we if let's have a look at say soho house which is something of a poster child in terms of of private members clubs and like we work it's also losing lots of money um, the status accounts which cover the year 2017 it lost um, £8.6 million the year before that 2016 it lost £8.3 million. But actually they they, they make more, far more money out of F&B, it's something like 56% um, in 2017 um, from F&B and the actual membership piece is just 21% of its turnover. Accommodation was 14%. They're also getting into retail sales um, flogging off, you know, having a soho house bed or something um that's nine percent of their their turnover so um they look a lot more like uh a restaurant company with accommodation um and that sells the odd bit of membership rather than a membership club doing all these other bits and bobs um so I, i'm little and i think the future for them lies very much um in, in in growing the other bits of the business other than membership that's where the the real growth potential is and certainly if you look at something like the ned which is their jv they do with uh, i never know how you pronounce is it siddle group sidle group um but the ned 252 room property huge area of of uh, dining seven restaurants in 3000 square meters um in an old banking hall Um, it's been a huge success by all accounts Um, i I think this is where rather than the private members bit it will just be a sort of small adjunct of it so it's interesting and there's like a lot of these niches i think there's a lot hospitality companies can learn from private members clubs in you know in, in the creation of that home away from home and the other services and i think there's certainly a blending going forward in terms of the um the we work type nature of co-working that's going to be, be available there but interestingly even some of these um, private members clubs they ban you from from doing any work they don't want you coming in there and doing your work at it so i think i think there's different takes on this as well but um the the bigger piece here is yes it's interesting it, it's a it, it adds some Are good ideas, but in terms of is it going to be a major sort of um, sector in its own right? No, I don't think so.
0: Now we're going to take a look at the serviced apartment sector because there's been a couple of uh, things popped up recently which have caught our interest. One of which is a look at how they're performing across Europe and uh, it seems the numbers are looking pretty positive positive. and also a little further afield in Asia looks like a couple of uh, major service department landlords are thinking about merging. Catherine would you like to run us through the details?
1: Um, yes, so in uh, in Europe, service departments, still a very big thing. Um, Red Power Growth is now um, <clears throat> faster than uh, Red Growth in what the wider Europe hotel thing, so that's all fine and dandy. in. Of course, lots of people are investing accordingly, um, though there's still some light caution and you will be required to have a brand on your service department if, uh, if you want to get any funding. Um, but that's seen an increase in the number of kind of dual branded sites. So we saw M&G doing a deal recently where there'll be a Stay City and a Premier Inn um, in the same place in uh, or next to each other in Paddington. So that's been lots of fun. And of course, the uh, global operators are continuing to release brands because a minute can't go by without one. And IHG released released At- Atwell Suites which is all about staying and flexible, whatever, and working and socializing and exploring and other disturbing things that you could possibly do in your service department. But um, but yes, all over the place, more still on the edge there. And it is getting to the stage now. If you don't have a brand like that, you're a great big giant loser as a hotel company.
2: Uh, again we're getting back to this blending idea where it used to be the case that service departments were something separate and apart from hotels it was very difficult to book a service department other than through um long uh, other than on a long-term let basis and when i say long-term let's sort of a month or so and you'd have to go through a completely different set of distribution channels to those you'd use to go and book your hotel accommodation now what we're seeing is a blending and the service departments are right up there alongside a hotel when you look at any of the main uh, booking websites for accommodation. But there is still a bit of a distinction um, and that distinction is really what the key revenue sources are um, so at hotels it's F&B um, plus conference banqueting stuff all of that comes into play very much just focus on rooms uh, with service departments and the challenge for the service department players here is that they go into the market saying look we've got this great return um, based on sort of relatively small costs compared to hotels but as soon as they start competing directly with hotels they're going to be layering more and more costs on and clearly if you're going and pitching yourself on a, a night or two night stay basis those costs are going to ramp up quite markedly and uh, I don't know whether all of these um, new service department players have done their homework sufficiently to understand this cost, how the the cost and um, yield uh, factors balance out because it might be the case actually you're better off sticking to your knitting just looking for those longer term guests the challenge of course is how do you exclude those longer term guests you just say look you've got to book five days at five nights at least um, maybe maybe that is the way forward I, th- I think there, there there's something to be said for that um, and and you know there could be a, a case of too much blending going on but I mean you know I think it's a good thing because what's happening in terms of from a certainly from a consumer perspective and from a investor perspective as well that you've got a range of offers here you can dive into what you want and if you look at the latest brand entrance people like stay city constantly evolving looking more and more like a hotel uh, with every new iteration of the brand so um the rooms are shrinking in size and um, more emphasis on on F&B and things like that. Um, and a lot of the new emergent brands in service accommodation, service departments are also focused on this F&B piece. So um, it's gonna be interesting to see where this all turns out. And I'm not sure we can effectively anymore draw a dividing line between the service departments and hotels.
0: Now then get yourself some chips ready and we're going to talk about casinos and uh, one or two interesting deals going on in that niche at the moment as well. Catherine, do you want to tell us some more?
1: Uh, yes, so takeover of Caesars by Eldorado, much smaller company, much bigger company, um, takes us all the way back to things that are on the edge, which seems to be the, the theme and uh, on the edge of the hotel sector, that is, not on the edge of sanity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> although I was shocked to learn um, from Chris about the 3,000 suites in the Venetian Macau, because that's massive, and it did for my head for a little while. Um, but um, there's money in them there hills. And much like many of these other things on the edge, it's all about keeping people on site and making them use your product. And of course, that's the entire purpose of a casino resort. Um, you ain't allowed to leave, you're not even allowed to see the sunlight, if at all possible. Um, and it's a huge money to be had. Obviously, it comes with its flaws. Um, there are lots of people talking recently about maybe Japanese gangsters and all this kind of thing. I can't build here because Japanese gangsters will get me. It seemed to be a big theme yeah. last week. Um, and of course, the Chinese, um, they like it. They like gambling. They don't like gambling. They like gambling. They don't like gambling. It's very restful for people who want to apply for licenses and build 3,000 suites um, with all this kind of mind changing. Um, but in the US, there have been um, uh, still great enthusiasm, which is why Caesar's is such an intriguing deal. They once again, where they're going to expand to, nobody really knows. It's, I think, more kind of a deal of cannibalisation than anything else.
2: Well, I, I had a look at, uh, I was quite interested in, in the numbers at Caesars. It's not a company we, we look at it, uh, very often, um, given that they're based in the US and our, our focus is Europe, Middle East and Africa, typically with a bit of Asia pack occasionally. And very rarely, Talk about North America, except when they're sort of heading heading our way. So I, I dived into the Caesar's numbers just to have a gander at what they were and what they're about. And I, I always imagined that um, the sort of particularly the Las Vegas hotels were essentially um, great big gaming halls, more or less giving away their rooms and their food and beverage. Oh no, um, because because they make so much cash out of the. Um, um the gambling yes and uh, oh no is absolutely right yes, no they've become uh, resorts
1: uh, of their own um of their own they have
2: the uh, yeah 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 and it, it, it breaks down so if you go casino f&b and rooms in terms of revenues it's it's pretty much a third a third a third so uh, the, the the gambling bit is just a third um which i found quite surprising now it's not down at the sort of fifth which is where we when we talk about private members clubs the membership piece is only that much um so but but none these look much more like a hotel operation and a resort hotel operation than they do a casino so I think they're very much in our in our business so it's quite interesting
1: yes yes no I mean I I know plenty of people who go to the Vegas and don't talk about it but who will go to Vegas on holiday on holiday for two weeks and um, will stay there as a resort not for the gambling Um, and they are not alone and I find that wildly wildly disturbing but um but three thousand suites
2: imagine But 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 they they are turning into with the entertainment and so forth. They're very quite interesting. Um, And they have
1: all these Michelin starred chefs and all this kind of
2: nonsense. Um,
1: And Gordon Ramsay, I noticed, and and lovely shopping malls. Lovely shopping malls.
2: Well, my favourite story about Vegas remains is w- when they tried to, to make it family-friendly and it was an almighty disaster. Um, this the old, And the, then they resorted back to that catch line, what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas, which is what people are looking for, this hedonistic getaway. And they, they weren't really looking for a yet another... Uh, Disney or subpar Disney variant.
1: Well, they no, but it is it is Disney for grown-ups, isn't it? Really, or Disney, well, Disney, Disney, Disney for people grown-ups. in beige trousers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean shorts today. <laughs>
1: oh, my eyes. I did see. I did see. I did see a hooker um, last time I was there, so that was fine. It was very early in the morning. There, she did high five me.
0: <laughs> and on that highbrow note, we finish up our podcast this week. We'll see you again soon. Bye for now.